Chapter Twenty Two of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Light Many Waters. Chapter Twenty Two. Not a heroine, but a woman. The cold, cynical man of the world was in a maze. He was deeply and painfully surprised at Miss Walton, and scarcely less so at himself. How could he account for the tumult at his heart? When he first saw that outburst of passion against a trembling, pleading child, he had felt that he wished to leave the house then and forever. The next moment, when he saw Annie's face as she convulsively clasped the boy to her breast, and with supernatural strength fled to the refuge of her room, he was not only instantly disarmed of anger, but touched and melted as he had never been before. Feeling is sometimes so intense that it is like the lightning, and burns its way instantly to the consciousness of others. Words of condemnation would have died on the lips of the sternest judge had he seen Annie's face. It would have shown him that the harshest things that he could utter were already anticipated in unmeasured self-upbraidings. From anger and disgust, Gregory passed to the profoundest pity. The children's unbounded affection for Annie proved that she was usually kind and patient toward them. A little thought convinced him that the act he saw was a sudden outburst of passion, for which the exasperating events of the day had been a preparation. Her face showed, as no language could, how sincere and deep would be her repentance. He had not gone very far into the early twilight of a grove, before he was conscious of a strong and secret exultation she is not made of different clay from others he said she cannot condemn me so utterly now and in view of what i have seen she cannot loftily deny the kinship of human weakness she is none of your cool calculating creatures who cipher out from day to day what is policy to do she will act rightly till there is an irrepressible eruption and then beware and yet these ebullitions enrich her life as the lava flow does the sides of vesuvius I shall be greatly disappointed if she is not ten times more kind, sympathetic, and self-forgetful than she was before. And as for that boy, she will keep him in the tallest clover for weeks to come to make up for this. How piquant she is! I do not fear her quick, flame-like spirit, when it is combined with so much conscience and principle. Indeed, I like her passion. It warms my cold, heavy heart. I wish she had shaken me, who deserved it, instead of the child and if any makings up like that in yonder room could follow i should like to be shaken every day in the week it would make a new man of me in the excitement of his feelings he had gone further than he had intended and the dusk was deepening fast when he reached the house on his return he felt not a little uneasy as to his reception after the rebuke he had given but counted much on annie's just and generous disposition he entered quietly at a side door and passed through the dining-room into the hall. The lamp in the parlor was unlighted, but the bright wood fire shed a soft, uncertain radiance throughout the room. A few notes of prelude were struck on the piano, and he knew that Miss Walton was there. Stepping silently forward opposite the open door, he stood in the dark hall watching her as she sung the following words my father once again thy wayward child in sorrow shame and weakness comes to thee confessing all my sin my passion wild my selfishness and petty vanity o jesus gentle saviour at thy feet i fall where often i have knelt before thou wilt not spurn nor charge me with deceit because old faults have mastered me once more 
thou knowest that i would be kind and true and that i hate the sins that pierce thy side thou seest that i often sadly view the wrong that in my heart will still abide but thou didst come such erring ones to save and weakness wins thy strong and tender love so not in vain i now forgiveness crave and cling to hopes long stored with thee above and yet i plead that thou wouldst surely keep my weak and human heart in coming days though now in penitence i justly weep o oh, fill my future life with grateful praise as in tremulous melting tones she sung this simple prayer with tears glistening in her eyes gregory was again conscious of the strong answering emotion which the presence of deep feeling in those bound to us by some close tie of sympathy often excites but far more than mere feeling moved him now her words and manner vivified an old truth familiar from infancy but never realized or intelligently believed the power of prayer to secure practical help from god how often men have lived and died poor just above mines of untold wealth gaunt famine has been the inmate of households while there were buried treasures under the hearthstone so multitudes in their spiritual life are weak despairing perishing when by simply divinely appointed means of prayer they might fill their lives with strength and fullness how long men suffered and died with diseases that seemed incurable before they discovered in some common object a potent remedy that relieved pain and restored health as is the case with many brought up in christian homes with no one thing was gregory more familiar than prayer for many years he had said prayers daily and yet he had seldom in all his life prayed and of late years had come to be a practical infidel in regard to this subject people who only say prayers and expect slight or no results from them or are content year after year to see no results who lack simple honest practical faith in god's word such as they have in that of their physician or banker who only feel that they ought to pray and that in some vague mystical manner it may do them good are very apt to end as skeptics in regard to its efficacy and value or they may become superstitious and continue to say prayers as the poor indian mutters his incantations to keep off the witches god hears prayers when his children cry to him when his faithful friends speak to him straight and true from their hearts and such know well that they are answered as gregory looked and listened to annie walton he could no more believe that she was expressing a little aimless religious emotion just as she would sing a sentimental ballad than he could think that she was only showing purposeless filial affection if she were hanging on her father's arms and pleading for something vital to her happiness the thought flashed across him here may be the secret of her power to do right the help she gets from a source above and beyond herself here may be the key to both her strength and weakness here glimmers light even for me annie was about to sing again but the interest which she had awakened was so strong that he could not endure delay anxiety as to his personal reception was forgotten and he stepped forward and interrupted her with a question miss walton do you honestly believe that believe what said she hastily quite startled what i gathered from the hymn you sung that your prayer is really heard and answered why certainly i believe it said annie in a shocked and pained tone do you think me capable of mockery in such things and yet she added sadly perhaps after to-day you think me capable of anything now you do both yourself and me wrong gregory eagerly replied 
I do believe you are sincerely trying to obey your conscience. Did I not see your look of sorrow as you passed me on the stairs? When shall I forget it? Remember words that must have been inspired, which you quoted once to me. Who by repentance is not satisfied is not of heaven nor earth. And pardon me when I tell you that I have been listening the last few moments out in the hall. Your tones and manner would melt the heart of an infidel, and they have made me wish that I were not so unbelieving. Forgive me for even putting such thoughts in your mind. I feel it is wicked and selfish in me to do it. But how do you know that your prayer, so direct and sincere, was not sound lost in space? Because it has been answered, she replied eagerly. Peace came, even as I spoke the words. Because whenever I really pray to God, he answers me. They now stood on opposite sides of the hearth, with the glowing fire between them. In its light Annie's wet eyes glistened, but she had forgotten herself in her sincere and newly awakened interest in him, whom she had secretly hoped and purposed before to lead to better things. It had formed no small part of her keen self-reproach that she had forgotten that purpose, and wished him out of the way, just as she was beginning to gain a decided influence over him for good. After what he had witnessed that afternoon, she felt that he would never listen to her again. He would not, had he detected the slightest tinge of acting or insincerity on her part. But her penitence had been as real as her passion. She was glad and grateful indeed when he approached her again in the spirit he now manifested. As she stood there in the firelight, self-forgetful, conscious only of her wish to say some words that would be like light to him, her large humid eyes turned up to his face. She made a picture that his mother would like to see. He leaned against the mantel and looked dejectedly into the fire. After a moment he said sadly, I envy you, Miss Walton. I wish I could believe in a personal God who thought about us and cared for us. That is, each one of us. Of course I believe in a supreme being, a great first cause, but he hides himself behind the stars. He is lost to me in his vast universe. I think my prayers once had an effect on my own mind, and so did me some good. But that's past, and now I might as well pray to gravitation as to anything else. Then, turning to her, he caught her wistful, interested look, an expression which said plainly, I want to help you, and it touched him. He continued feelingly, Perhaps you are not conscious of it, but you now look as if you cared whether I was good or bad, was sad or happy, lived or died. If I could only see that God cared in something the same way. He no doubt intends to do what is best for the race in the long run, but that may involve my destruction. I dread his terrible, inexorable laws. Alas, said Annie, tears welling up into her eyes, I am not wise enough to argue out these matters and demonstrate the truth. I suppose it can be done by those who know how. I doubt it, said he, shaking his head decisively. "'Well, I can tell you only what I feel and know.' "'That is better than argument. That is what I would like. "'You are not a weak, sentimental woman, full of mysticism and fancies, "'and I should have much confidence in what you know and feel. "'Do not say that I am not a weak woman. I have shown you otherwise. "'Be sincere with me, for I am with you. "'Well, it seems to me that this question of prayer is simply one of fact.' We know that God answers prayer, not only because he said he would, but because he does. From my own experience, I am as certain of it as of my existence. I think that many who sneer or doubt in regard to prayer are very unfair. I ask you, is it scientific for men to say, Nothing is true save what we have seen and know ourselves? 
how that would limit one's knowledge if some facts are discovered in europe and established by a few proper witnesses we believe them here now in every age multitudes have said that it was a fact that god heard and answered their prayers what right has any one to ignore these truths any more than any other truths of human experience i ask my earthly father for something the next day i find it on my dressing-table is it a delusion to believe that he heard and granted my request when i ask my heavenly father for outward things he sometimes gives them and sometimes he does not as he sees is best for me just as my parents did when i was a little child and i have already seen that he has often been kinder in refusing but when i ask for that which will meet my deeper and spiritual needs i seldom ask in vain if you should ask me how i know it i in return ask how you know that you are ill or well that you are glad or sad or tired or anything about yourself that depends on your own inner consciousness if i should say unjust insulting things to you now how would you know you were angry if i should say mr gregory you are mocking me what i am now saying has no interest for you you don't hear me you don't understand me you are thinking of something else what kind of proof to the contrary could you offer suppose that i should say i want mathematical proof that you do feel an interest or physical proof something that i can measure weigh or see should i be reasonable do i make it clear to you why i say i know this clearer than it was ever made to me before i cannot help seeing that you are sincere and sure about it but pardon me i've gotten such an inveterate habit of doubting are not good catholics just as sure about the virgin and the saints hearing and answering them and do not pagans feel the same way about their deities now mr gregory said annie with a little indignant reproach in her tone do you think it just and reasonable to compare my faith or that of any intelligent christian with the gross superstitions you name christianity is not embraced only by the ignorant and weak-minded multitudes of the best and ripest scholars in the world are honest believers indeed miss walton i did not mean you to draw any such inference as that replied he hastily and in some confusion i do not see how any other can be drawn she continued and i know from what i have read and heard that unbelievers usually seek to give that impression but it's not a fair one the absurdities of paganism monkish legends and even the plausible errors of the romish church will not endure the light of intelligent education but the more i know the more i see the beauty and perfection of the christian religion and the reasonableness of prayer and so it is with far stronger and wiser heads than mine your father and mine were never men to be imposed upon nor to believe anything just because they were told to do so when children really miss walton you said you couldn't argue about this matter i think you can like a lawyer if you mean that i am using a lawyer's proverbial sleight of hand i'm sorry i don't mean that at all but that you put your facts in such a way that it's hard to meet them i only try to use common sense it's about the only sense i have but i was in hopes you did not want to meet what i say adversely but would like to believe i would miss walton honestly i would but wishes go little way against stubborn doubt this one now rises how is it that scientific men are so apt to become infidel in regard to the bible and its teachings and especially prayer i'm sure i hardly know she answered with a sigh but i will tell you what i think i don't believe the majority of them know much about either the bible or prayer 
with my little smattering of geology i should think it very presuming to give an opinion contrary to that held by the best authorities in that science and i think it very presuming in those who rarely look into a bible and never pray to tell those who read and pray daily that they don't know what they do know then again scientific people often apply gross material tests to matters of faith and religious experience the thing is absurd suppose a man should seek to investigate light with a pair of scales that could not weigh anything less than a pound there is a spiritual and moral world as truly as a physical and spiritual facts are just as good to build on as any other and i should think they ought to be better because the spirit is the noblest part of us a man who sees only one side of a mountain has no right to declare that the other is just like it then again your scientific oracles are always contradicting one another and upsetting one another's theories science to-day laughs at the absurdities believed by the learned a hundred years ago and so will much that is now called science and because of which men doubt the bible be laughed at in the future but my belief is the same substantially as that of paul st augustine luther and the best people of my own age and luther who did more for the world than any other mere man said that to pray well was to work well when annie was under mental excitement she was a rapid fluent talker and this was especially her condition this evening as she looked earnestly at gregory while she spoke her dark eyes glowing with feeling and intelligence and lighting her whole face he was impressed more than he could have been by the labored arguments of a cool logical scholar her intense earnestness put a soul into the body of her words he was affected more than he wished her to know more than was agreeable to his pride what she had said seemed so perfectly true and real to her that for the time she made it true to him and yet to admit that his long-standing doubts could not endure so slight an assault as this was to show that they had a very flimsy basis moreover he knew that when left to himself he should think it all over new questions would rise that could not be answered and new doubts return therefore he could not receive now what he might be disposed to doubt to-morrow he was a trifle bewildered and wanted time to think he was as much interested in miss walton as in what she was saying and when her words proved that she was a thoughtful woman and could be the intelligent companion of any man the distracting fear grew stronger that when she came to know him well she would coldly stand aloof the very thought was unendurable in all the world only in the direction of annie walton seemed there any light for him so to gain time he instinctively sought to give a less serious turn to the conversation by saying come miss walton this is the best preaching i've ever heard it seems to me quite unusual to find a young lady so interested and well versed in these matters you must have given a good deal of thought and reading to the subject annie looked disappointed she had hoped for a better result from her earnest words than a compliment and a little curiosity as to herself but she met him in his own apparent mood and said now see how easily imposed upon your sceptical people are i could palm myself off like portia as a daniel come to judgment and by a little discreet silence gain a blue halo as a woman of deep research and profound reading just the contrary is true i am not a very good reader on any subject and certainly not on theology and kindred topics the fact is i am largely indebted to my father he is interested in the subjects and takes pains to explain much to me that would require study and since mother died he has come to talk to me very much as he did to her but it seems to me that all i have said is very simple and plain 
and you surely know that my motive was not to err the little instruction I have received. Gregory's policy forsook him as he saw her expression of disappointment, and as he looked at her flushed and to him now lovely face, acting upon a sudden impulse, he asked, Won't you please tell me your motive? His manner and tone convinced her in a moment that he was more moved and interested than she had thought, and answering with a like impulse on her part, she said frankly, Mr. Gregory, pardon me for saying it, but from the very first day of your visit it seemed clear to me that you were not living and feeling as though who once made this your home could wish. And the thought was impressed upon me, impressed strongly, that perhaps God had sent you in your feeble health and sadness, for you evidently were depressed in mind also, to this place of old and holy memories, that you might learn something better than this world's philosophy. I have hoped and prayed that I might be able to help you, but when to-day, she continued, turning away her head to hide the rising tears, I showed such miserable weakness, I felt that you would never listen to me again on such subjects, and would doubt more than ever their reality, and it made me very unhappy. I feel grateful that you have listened to me so patiently. I hope you won't let my weakness hurt my cause. Now you see what a frank, guileless conspirator I am, she added, trying to smile at him through her tears. While she spoke, Gregory bent upon her a look that tried to search her soul. But the suspicious man of the world could not doubt her perfect sincerity. Her looks and words disclosed her thought as a crystal stream reveals a white pebble over which it flows. He stepped forward and took her hand with a pressure that caused it pain for hours after, but he trusted himself to say only, You are my good angel, Miss Walton. Now I understand your influence over me and then abruptly left the room. But he did not understand her influence. A man seldom does when he first meets the woman whose words, glances, and presence have the subtle power to fill his thoughts, quicken his pulse, stir his soul, and awaken his whole nature into new life. He usually passes through a luminous haze of congeniality, friendship, platonic affinity, or even brotherly regard till something suddenly clears up the mist and he finds like the first man lonely in eden that there is but one woman for him in all the world gregory was in the midst of the cloud but it seemed very bright around him as he paced his room excitedly End of chapter twenty two